Hello, we're back in the wonderful world of lies, according to Rabbeinu Yonah and Halacha. We've seen the importance of not lying, and now we're on the discussion of places where lies might be okay, or at least bending the truth. Last time we spoke about language that has two intentions, two meanings, two indications. This time, we're going to talk about places where it seems like it's actually just a straight-up lie, and what the kinds of causes and reasons for that could be. If you look at the Shulchan Aruch in Choshen Mishpat, 262, paragraph 21, the Shulchan says that if you find something and and it's the kind of an item, kind of an object where lots of people have the same kind of thing, right? You find, a, you know, a T-shirt that they sell a million of in the store, a Lacoste shirt that comes to mind. I remember years ago, it was a whole big thing. I remember I didn't know anything about it, but Benetton had a sweatshirt. Everybody knew a Benetton sweatshirt cost $42. So a shirt like that. Everybody knows what it is. Lots of people have it. But if it had things to it that the kind of way that it's worn, you know, or stains that had almost and things like that, so chayab lachri, you have to announce that you found it. Now, meaning, when you find it, if you really found, like, off the rack, and there's no way to tell it apart from any other ones, there's no reason to announce it because the person who owned it can't tell you it's theirs. There's no way to do it. But if it's the kind of a thing where it could have the kinds of wear that a Torah scholar would be able to say, I recognize that and it's mine. That's called a tviat ayin, that they recognize that it's there. So we don't trust everybody, but a Torah scholar, which doesn't only mean a Torah scholar, it means somebody whose observance we trust, whose integrity we trust, and things like that, then you'll have to show him or her nowadays, for sure, the, the, the item, the object, the shirt, the whatever it is, uh, because if they say to you, I recognize it, it's mine. I couldn't prove it to you, but I recognize it, it's mine. We give it back to them. Now, the Shulchan Aruch says, what do we mean by a Torah scholar, by a Talmud Chacham? He says, we mean a Talmud Vatik, like an advanced student, who never, now, the language is, you know, klal, never says other than the truth, he never changes with his words from the truth, Ella, and this is the part that's interesting to me, right? The idea that he never lies, that I hope is already uh, something we would expect because that's what Torah scholars are supposed to do. But this Shulchan Aruch, this, uh, this, and this paragraph in Choshen Mishpat introduces the idea that sometimes it's okay not to tell the truth. And these are the places where it's acceptable. The erase Shalom, but the Shalom means it's going to create peace among people. And there, maybe you'll change. And it's unclear what change means. Does it mean a straight-up lie? Or does it mean that you can say things that sound both ways? We'll get to that. Obama or about something he's learning. So in the par- in the parentheses there, it says, in Shukarach, it says that if they ask him what Masechta he's learning, or if he knows it well, he'll say, no, I don't really know it. And it's a way of being more modest, more humble about his or her accomplishments. That would be, um, that would be a masakta. And this is all from a Gemara Bamatia, or Bupuraya. Puraya, the Shokanara assumes that it means somebody was hosted by somebody else. If they say to him, how was it? I'm sorry, the other way around. I thought Puraya is, there's two possibilities for Puraya. One possibility for Puraya. The first one that the Shokanara gives in the parentheses is, they say to you, did you sleep here? And the answer, and you're supposed, you can say no, because the worry is that the man, you know, especially if a man lived there with his wife, but a man might have had some kind of an omission. There might have been, there might be evidence on the bed of embarrassing things, and therefore one is allowed to say no. Or buushpiza, 
if somebody was hosted by people, if I said, you know, oh, I went to so-and-so, it was the best time ever, the worry is that they'll get flocked, they'll get uh, overwhelmed with people wanting to be their guests. And uh, Gemara actually quotes a verse in Mishle, I think it's in a verse in Mishle, somebody blesses their friend too uh, too loudly, it's almost like a curse because everybody's going to want to come there. So those are the places where the Shulchan Aruch can imagine that even a person of integrity, remember, this is a person whose integrity we're going to trust so fully that we're going to return to them an object basically on their say-so. They're going to say, I recognize that that's the way my, I don't know, jean jacket looked. So we're going to trust them as long as they're always uh, honest, always uh, true, other than these exceptional cases. Then I just want to show you, a, I had a couple of responses that I thought make this point or discuss this issue very, very well. So that's a convenient way to do it. I'm not pretending that I'm being comprehensive here. Just a couple of examples of sources. So one is Mishpatei uh, Uziel, which is the response of Rabbin Mayor Chai Uziel, the Tzvarek Chief Rabbi of Israel, both just before the state was, was established and into the state of Israel until he passed away. And he says, if we're going to worry about lying and things like that, he says, I think we should worry that this is about a woman. I think he's talking about voting rights for women. He says, if you're going to worry that women will just do what their husbands say, why don't I worry the opposite way? Maybe she'll disagree with her husband and she'll tell him that she agrees with him to keep peace in the household or because she's afraid of him. And therefore, he says, you'd have to make a whole, you'd have to make the rules that voting was open, right? Otherwise, you'd have to worry about what people are going to do and and not secret because if it's secret, you have to worry that they'll do what they want, right? And you have to worry about, about sons and relatives and people who love you, right? Uh, so if you're going to worry about it, you're going to worry that people are going to be lying all over the place, telling somebody, oh, yes, I voted for you when they didn't. And maybe that shouldn't be a bad, it shouldn't be right. So Rav, Rav Uziel says, that's not a chanufa. It's part of mutar lo adam l'shanot l'man hashalom. So he says, if somebody wants you to do something for them, and it's, a, it's your right not to do it for them, but you can say, and they're not going to know, you're allowed to tell them, no, I did that. I voted for you, or I voted for the party you wanted me to vote for. I voted straight Democratic, straight Republican, whatever it was. Right? So he says you're allowed to do that as part of shalom. So that's uh, an elaboration of what we saw in the Shulchan Aruch just a second ago. We said that the Torah scholar who we would return items, lost items to, based on their, uh, just on their assertion that it really is theirs. So we said they are allowed to change their shalom, and now we're realizing shalom can mean anytime that somebody is, is, is devoted to something, somebody is adamant about something, and I really don't want to do that thing or whatever it might be, but I don't want to get into trouble with them, I don't want to have a fight with them. That would be a place where you might be allowed to say other, something other than the truth. Now, I have a long responsum of Chaim David Alevi, who I think is a very interesting figure. I think he's a very well-thought-out figure. I know his chuvot mostly from a set of chuvot called Aselech Arav, where he answers questions from people. But he also had another book of chuvot called um, called Mekor Mayim Chaim. No, just Mayim Chaim. Sorry, Shut Mayim Chaim. So Chaim David Alevi, in the third volume of Shut Mayim Chaim, is talking about various issues of where we do and don't lie about things. So he takes up first this question up, changing the truth or saying something other than the truth for the purposes of peace. And he quotes that Rabbi Eli says, says the name of Rabbi Eli, Rabbi Shimon in Yevamot 65b, 
You're allowed to change the truth. Now, changing the truth is not yet lying. Next time, we're going to see actual lying. Lying here is more about, so when we say, somebody says, you know, did you sleep in that bed? The person will say, I slept fine. Or, or it doesn't have to be full out lies necessarily. Right? It could be, though, these could all be examples of where the person is being mishaneh, finds a way to change the truth rather than, right? That's what the Shukhanah has said too. You don't change the truth. So there could be ways around that. So here, you're you can change things because of the truth. So he points out that the, that uh, that after Yaakov Avinu passes away, the Torah tells us that Yosef's brothers sent a messenger to get to Yosef, right? And it says they saw that their father passed away, and they sent the rest to Yosef saying that your father commanded before he passed away not to punish us or to be okay with us and to forgive us. Rashi says, V'yakov lo tziva. Now, Elohim shinum shalom. They changed. Now, in parentheses in the Chivot, it says shikru. That would seem to be a straight up lie. So we have to think about that. But at the very least, they didn't tell the truth there. Rabbi Natan Amar Mitzvah. Rabbi Natan says, not only are you allowed to change the truth because of peace, it's an obligation. It's better. And he says, how do I know it's a mitzvah? Because when Hashem tells Shmuel, after, remember, in the book of Shmuel, you have the anointing of Shaul as king, then Shaul serves as king, and then unfortunately, Shaul doesn't hand the job as he's supposed to. And Hashem says to Shmuel, I'm going to send you to Yishai, and he's got a son that you're going to anoint to be the new king. And Shmuel says to Hashem, how can I go? Because Shaul will hear about it and he'll kill me. And Hashem says to him, good, so take some animals with you and you'll sacrifice them and you'll make a sacrifice day of it. The Marsha writes there, meaning the Rabbi Natan in the Gemara there is deriving from that interaction that there is a mitzvah to change the truth to maintain the peace. So when Shemuel says to, Sh- says to Hashem, I can't just go because Shaul will kill me. Hashem says, go take an animal and take an animal and say, I'm coming here to offer a sacrifice. But he really was coming there to offer a sacrifice. That's not changing the truth. That's actually telling the truth. It's just telling. So the Maharsha says, even though he was telling the truth, nonetheless, since his main reason for going was to anoint David, when people said to him, why are you here? And he said, I'm here to offer a sacrifice. That wasn't that wasn't true. That wasn't correct. That wasn't right. And so that's Rabbi Natan. That's how Rabbi Natan can infer from there that there's a mitzvah because Hashem tells him to do it. Meaning, if there was no Rabbi Natan seems to be assuming if there was no mitzvah to do it, when Shmuel says to Hashem, but Shaul will hear me and he'll kill me, Hashem could have said, "I'll protect you." Hashem could have said. You got to risk it. Hashem could have said lots of things, but instead, Hashem gave Shmuel the idea for how to to deflect the truth, right? To deflect attention from what he was actually there for. But that implies that it in fact counts as a deflection of the truth, even though it's technically true. So that while we're on the while we're in the hunt for places where we're allowed to not tell the truth, I want to put to point out. That means anywhere where this isn't, where there's not special permission to do this, this counts as a lie, right? That's what the Maharshal is also telling us. We're learning that in order to, the piece here is to let, is to stop Shaul 
from killing Shmuel, and the Gemara is treating it not only as self-preservation for Shmuel, but also as a way to avoid strife and fighting and violence, and, and there's a value in that. And the value in that allows for bending or misshaping the truth. Along the way, telling you that, if you're going somewhere for two reasons, but one is, you know, if I'm going somewhere because I think I'm going to meet somebody that I'm not supposed to meet, and right? I have a, you know, I have my bookie, I'm not supposed to gamble, and I have my book, and I want to go meet him, and I want to talk with him about what my best bets are coming up, let's say. And I'm also going to buy a pack of gum. So somebody says to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to buy a pack of gum. The Rahashah is telling us that is considered a lot. It's a permissible or even maybe obligatory to keep the peace, but it's not true, right? So that's what we're talking about. Now, back in the Gemara there, it said, Rabbi Shmuel Tana, Gadol Shalom. That Hashem did it. Hashem also changes. Where does Hashem change? This is the, the story at the beginning of Vayera. Hashem says to Abram, they're going to have children. And uh, Sarah laughs and says, how can I have children? Vadoniza came, where my where Avraham is too old to have children. That's what she says. And then, Avra, and then when Hashem tells the story to Avraham, and he says, why did Sarah laugh? He says, Vaniza kanti. That he, Hashem has Sarah say that she got old. Right? Um, so that is changing it. Now, the Me'iri adds, and this is the piece that, that Rav Chaim David Alevi is, is, uh, is thinking about. The Me'iri adds, the truth is that Hashem didn't lie about it because she did say so that. Now, we might miss it. We might miss it. We might think that, she, that Hashem fully, God forbid, but as straight up, as straight up lied as it were. We might think that Sarah really said, Abraham is old, and, and Hashem said, and Sarah said, I'm old. But the truth is that Sarah also said, which we generally assume means that after I became old, like loti, I became dried out, meaning she'd gone through menopause already, it's come back. But that she really thinks that she was a post-menopausal woman, and therefore she's also agreed that she's not fit for having children anymore. So the Miri says, so therefore, she had said two things, Sarah, and, ha- and Hashem chose one of them to mention. Now, why isn't that considered, why is that considered a Shino? Meaning, in the Gemara, that's brought as evidence that, that this is a valuable strategy. It's not only that it's permissible, that for the sake of peace, it's a valuable strategy. It's a correct strategy, maybe obligatory, but that Hashem, it, it's emulating Hashem. But it's only emulating Hashem, but that's what Hashem did. So the Mi'iri says, yes, even though Sarah actually had said both. And Hashem said only one of them. Meaning, if you read the Gemara, if you read the Torah casually, you'll think that Sarah only said Abraham was old. And if you read Rashi casually, that Sarah only said Abraham was old. And Hashem said, and Sarah said, I'm old. The Mi'iri is saying that Sarah didn't actually only say that Abraham's old. She said, I'm old too. She said, but, and Hashem focused on that one. And when it comes to the kind of truth, the standard of truth that Hashem generally holds, that too counts as a shinoi of truth, a changing of the truth. Because she said it, but Hashem left out crucial information. So leaving out, so we are learning that there are cases where we're allowed to do that. We're also learning that in general doing that is it is considered dishonest. The person can say, well, I said the truth. That's dishonest. That kind of a shinoi. Okay. That's step one in Rav Chaim David Levy's discussion. And then he's going to talk about the fact that shalom, this kind of peace, is very important. And he, and he points out that the Rif and the Rush in Yevamot there, they write the sugi down, 
but they don't tell us which option to accept, meaning I sort of glossed over it. We had one opinion that said that you're allowed to, right? Mutar lo la'adam. That was Rabbi Loi in the name of Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Shimon, said you're allowed to change the truth for the purposes of peace. Rabbi Natan had said, you have a mitzvah to do it. And Rabbi Shmuel, the Tana had said, it's an important thing because even Hashem doesn't. You look at the riff and the, and the rush, they have it all, right? So it does, it's not clear which one you mean, right? Is it that it's allowed or is it it's a mitzvah? You look at the Rambam in Hilchot Deo, where the Rambam gives the laws of character, of Chaim Adibar Levi points out, he ruled, V'lo V'lo now, meaning, you're not allowed to tell anything other than the re- than the truth. You're not allowed to change your words. You're not allowed to add. You're not allowed to take away. Just when it comes to shalom. But again, he doesn't tell you. So the Rav Chaim says, it doesn't matter whether we say it's permissible or it's a mitzvah. The Rambam's chiddush is that from the Gemara, we would have thought that when we say l'shanot, it's that you can only say a half-truth. But the Rambam says you can even add things. So adding things would seem to be a fully untrue. And that's the Rambam seems to think that that's part of being Mishanem Ibnei Shalom. Uh, so the Tukhaim Dalai says he thinks maybe the Rambam figured it, or this is like an idea the Rambam inferred on his own either. He just came up with it, he just thought that there's not enough of a difference. I could have imagined saying that the idea that we just sort of shape the truth in the way that will convince another person but don't add anything to it and the Rambam says that's not significantly different from adding things that aren't true. That's a big jump, but maybe so. The Rambam says maybe the Rambam just added it. He thought it was he thought it was clear, and therefore he added it. Or maybe he learned it from a Gemara that we spoke about last time that Beit Shammai Hill had that discussion about how you dance before a kala before a bride, and Beit Shammai had said you have to say truths that are true for her. And Hill said no, we just say kala na'avachasuta, and I can figure out a way that it sort of means it. Right? And, uh, and that's what you do. And Rachel Hill had said, just to remember from last time, Rachel Hill had said, you're going to tell me if somebody buys something that's a bad purchase, you're going to just tell them that it's a bad purpose? No. So the, if Chaim W. says, he thinks maybe the Raman got from there, that when it comes to peace and helping people get along with each other and helping people be happy with life and making life go well, you're even allowed to add things, right? Because we add to the kala, meaning we, 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 not only to the kala, not only to the, the, the bride, but then he buys a suit and I think it's hideous, right? So it seems like, but he'll say, I can't say it's hideous, I can say it's nice. So that seems to say that for peace, we can even maybe lie about it, which is, I think, a very delicate thing. Next time, as I said before, next time, we're gonna, next two times, we're going to talk about lies of various sorts. And, and, and I think it's a very complicated business because it's such a slippery slope. I think life is a slippery slope. It's not like I don't think it is. But it's so slippery. It's so easy to tell ourselves, no, I'm doing this for Shalom. And we turn around, you know, 10 years later, all of a sudden we're just liars. We just lie all the time. We always think we're helping people get along better. So that's a very, very tricky kind of a thing. And so Chaim Dabalevi points out what we did last time, the discussion of Midvar Sheker Tirchak. Right? So he says, we have to know that for Shalom, for peace, that's the only place where it's allowed. Now, we saw in Shulchan Aruch, there's also, in terms of things that are embarrassing, like, you know, where you slept last night, who your hosts were, because that'll hurt them. But by and large, the biggest room for allowing this kind of, uh, of trying to massage the truth, or even bend the truth, or even break the truth, is for Shalom, right? That's the purpose. And other purpose, he says, you're not allowed to do it for. Which is, now, the problem is, I think the problem is that everybody thinks they're doing it for Shalom. 
And I don't think that's always true. So he says, other Isurei Torah, though, we never found that idea. So he says, he says you need to know this, because remember that every time you might be choosing to bend or break the truth or lie for the sake of peace, just remember that, that the idea of truth and the idea of falsehood is one of the few places where the Torah says, Midvar the idea that we have to stay far away from a sin. He points out, when it comes to the Arayot, right, it says, don't come close, but it doesn't say tirchak, to like make sure you stay far, right? Don't come close. There's a middle place between don't come close and stay far. So he's telling you it's very, you have to stay very far from it. So to David Amalek and Tehillim says, derech sheker haser mimeni. So that Rav Chaim David Alevi says, notice that David Amalek doesn't say, don't make, help me not lie. He says, take me far from derech sheker, from the path of lying, right? So he says Yaakov Avinu is, is an example of that. Remember that Yaakov Avinu is referred to as the Bechir Ha'avot. Bechir Ha'avot means that Yaakov Avinu is seen as like, since he's the third in the chain, so there are the various impurities of the time that had to be gotten rid of. Avram got rid of some of them, and Yitzchak got rid of others of them, and Yaakov is like the Bechir Ha'avot, like the, the perfected version of it. And when we talk about Yaakov, we often talk about Yaakov as being the man of truth. The verse says, Titin emet liyakov, that Hashem gave truth to Yaakov, right? And in Kabbalah, they talk about Yaakov Avinu being the Ish Ahmed, and yet he had a situation where people lied to him and things went wrong, and, and, and they, they changed the truth, right? So, I'm sorry, that was what I meant to say, that was what he was saying. And yet Yaakov Avinu was put in a situation where he had to bend the truth, work with the truth, massage the truth, in order to get the brachot. So if Chaim David Levi thinks the blessings from Yitzchak were clearly always supposed to go to Yaakov, right? Because, um, because the prediction to Rivka when she was pregnant was Rav Yavot Zair. The older brother will serve the younger brother. And, uh, and, and he says, Chaim David Levi says, when Yitzchak, when, when Asim would come with the Matamim later, after Yaakov got the brachot, after Yaakov got the blessings, the verse says, "Tremble the great trembling," and he says, right? And and he and he ratifies the bracha should go to Yaakov. So Rav Chaim says it's a weird thing because we don't generally bless somebody who tricked us into giving them the bracha. So he says, as others do as well, that at that point Yitzchak saw with Ruach Hakodesh that Yaakov in fact was the one who was supposed to get the bracha, and the Chazal say. That when Yaakov came in to see his father, there was the reach of that Aden, the, the, the aroma of the world to come. Whereas when the Aesop came in, there was the foul odor of Gehinom, of the punishment. Right? So all of this is to say that really Yaakov was supposed to get the bracha. And yet Yaakov is, Yaakov is going to be put into a situation where he has to change the truth. We'll get to that in a second, right? But that's where he's going to. Yaakov is a person of truth. And the bracha really belonged to him. And he says, when originally, when Yaakov, as it were, bought the bracha from Esav, because they were supposed to be his anyway, but he didn't lie to Esav at all. There, Yaakov was completely on the up and up. Esav comes in tired. Yaakov says, I got, he says, what kind of soup is that? I got soup. He says, what kind of soup is that? Whatever it is. He says, uh, give me some. He says, I'll sell it to you. So Esav could have said, I don't want to buy it from you. Or he's could have said, I'll pay money. Or he's could have lots of things. There's no trickery there. And yet, Says Rukhain Dalevi, notice that when, when 
the time came to get the bracha out of his father. And the idea is that Yitzchak, A, doesn't know that Esav sold the brachot, seems to think that Esav should get the brachot. You need to do something about it. Rivka says, we're going to trick him. Yaakov tries not to. He resists. And then she pressures him into it. There's a, he's quoting a Medrash that says that when Yaakov was on his way to his father with the food that his mother had the meat, his mother had cooked, he was crying the whole way. Because he didn't want to lie. He knew he was going to have to say, okay, except the I was going to have to say, now remember, Rashi says, it's not fully a lie. Because really what he said was, I, and then he said a separate fact, except the Rukhain told me he's pointing out that while that's true, and therefore it's less of a lie in some sense, it's still completely bending the truth. And not only that, after that, Yaakov suffered greatly for, for how he handled this. And... Rav Chaim says, the tradition is that Yaakov also got punished because his own sons, um, no, he got punished because Lavan tricked him by giving him Leah. Meaning, Yaakov once in his life does some trickery and he finds himself getting tricked all over the place. And also, Lavan tricked him or tried to trick him when it came time to get his reward, his salary, by taking the spotted and speckled sheep. Right? And also, that's what I was getting to, his sons tricked him. Right? It happened with when, when Dina was taken captive by Shechem, and then the sons tricked him and killed the town of Shechem. Right? And, 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 right, so that was another example. So you have these situations where people are tricking him all over the place. So, Levi is saying, yeah, there are times when it's acceptable to bend the truth or to, to violate the truth or to shape it in a way that really counts as a lie. It's not that Yaakov was doing the wrong thing, but there are consequences to it anyway, is his point. So you got to be very careful about what you do and when you do it. And then he quotes a Yalkut Shimoni Mitch that says, Kishmoa Esav and Divrei Aviv, when Esav heard that his father had given the brachel to Yaakov, Shalosh Dima'otorid Esav. He cried three tears, came out of his eyes. Vihihihihilatam lekam dima'ah. And that's going to lead to the Jewish people suffering in various ways. And another measure says, This is a measure that I think we should know in general. I think people, I, I think people talk about, in good context, about the importance of vitur, the importance of foregoing one's honor, for not being so such a stickler for what one deserves. And that's an important value that I for sure think is out there. That's not the same thing as losing a sense of right and wrong. Rabbi Hanina is saying that anybody who thinks that Hashem just ignores things, just lets things slide, which is not the same thing as if people do tshuva, that Hashem allows the tshuva to stand instead of the needed atonement or kapara. That's a whole different discussion. But if somebody says, you know what, I'll eat pig and Hashem won't care that much. What does Hashem care? There's a whole big world to run. So that's not allowed. Right, that the Vatubinamiya means his inside should be like royal up. Ella Marik Really what happens is Hashem waits. And Hashem waits because the hope is that people will find their way to a better place on their own. So when it says that Asaph, after he hears that his father cried, his father gave the brothels to uh to Yaakov, the verse says that he cried, he, he let out a great and bitter cry. And where does that get paid back? So the whole idea that's getting paid back, right? This is, Rabbi Khalil is just giving an example of 
how long it can take till Hashem pays back somebody who's owed something. So where does it happen? In Shushan. Because in Shushan, the verse says, Mordechai cried out as a kagdola umara admel. The Mordechai cried out. So the, the, I mean, at a midrashic level, he's just noticing the same phrase appears in both places. And he's saying, yeah, this is what's happening for this. But Rukhaim David Alevi is saying, but what you see is that this Medrash is saying that again, we think Yaakov was right. He, he, he was owed the bracha. We think he was right. Rifka tells him he was right. It seems like Hashem agrees with him. It seems like Yitzchak agrees he was right. And yet, because he had to use the stratagem of, again, not straight out lying to his father, but functionally lying to his father, it had consequences anyway. And Asa's reaction of being now not really cheated, but functionally cheated because Asaph did not remember he told the Brachot, didn't think the Brachot, the sale mattered anyway. He thought he would get the Brachot anyway. The bitterness of Asaph leads to a bitterness of the Jewish people. Now, so he just throws in at the end, by the way. So he says that the, the idea is Yaakov took the Brachot with some kind of a trickery, even though they belong to him. And they get punished. He gets punished. And his children, his sons get punished. Mishum Right? It's because he didn't get it in a way of being fully honest. He got in a way in a path of Sheker. And that's a problem. And so Rukhaim Levi closes and says, We should learn a lesson from that. That, uh, that everybody should be careful to be truthful and not add and not take away from other than in Debrei Shalom, other than in very restricted circumstances where it's absolutely necessary to maintaining peace. So we have lots more to do in terms of the definition of lies that we can do. Next week we're talking about permissible lies and fabricating quotes, which is all interesting idea. And then that'll take us two times to get to the end of fabricating a quote. And then we'll be done with Sheker. But where we are today and right now is that as we investigate the importance of not being a Shepran, we have found one little open window to sometimes bending the truth and bending it in ways that might even ordinarily count as lies and yet might be permissible. So as we do more on our figuring out of truth and not truth and where it comes into our lives, this has been our discussion for today. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.